Good morning and welcome back to the Thrive Subscribe podcast. Today we're going to be talking about technicians and their and their use. Uh, back when you know my father-in-law and mother-in-law were pharmacists uh, in the uh, in the fifties, pharmacists worked mostly uh, without any help. Uh, oftentimes there was one pharmacist in a pharmacy. Uh, they did everything that was involved, making the medications, doing the, filling the prescriptions, uh, taking care of the patients and doing the business work, uh, making the orders, and, and everything that was involved, that was their job. Uh, as pharmacy has progressed over the years, uh, we've seen uh, more and more things that have to be done. Uh, hospitals at first uh, probably noticed the need for support personnel. Uh, and in the 60s and 70s, uh, they started to utilize pharmacy technicians, and this grew into the retail establishments as well. Uh, and so into the 70s and 80s, we started to see technicians being used in community pharmacies around the country. Uh, back when I graduated in the early 90s, uh, technicians were firmly entrenched in the community practices, but for the most part, pharmacists still spent uh, a lot of effort and time doing uh pretty much uh, all of the aspects of that practice with technicians simply supporting them. So in other words, uh, we still had pharmacists doing data entry and the counting, uh, and they all, of course, would do, do the counseling, and uh, they would also do the business aspects and such. Uh, as the pharmacy world has kind of matured since then, we have seen increased pressure to perform, both from a standpoint of decreasing our uh efficiency or increasing our efficiencies, uh, but also to uh, increase our clinical output. And as such, technicians have become much more important today than they were even back, uh, you know, when I graduated pharmacy school. So today, technicians are doing much more of the day-to-day operations, uh, allowing the pharmacist to spend much more of their time focusing on that clinical aspects. And as I have probably said in the past on this podcast as well, you know, when I'm on the counter, uh, it is hard enough to do final product verification and then look at the uh, the clinical aspects and do a good job of that. It is far easier if I don't have to worry about things like final verification, uh, the counting, the data entry, uh, and I can just focus on that patient's clinical profile, look at whether or not they are meeting their outcomes, whether they're having any adverse effects, whether they are optimizing their outcomes, and then turn around and work with that patient to make sure that we're achieving those things. So let's turn it over to Randy and uh, hear what our guest today, Amber Southers, has to say about what's going on in their pharmacy. Good morning, everybody, and and welcome back to Thrive Subscribe and our our weekly podcast. Uh, Today, we have a special guest. Um, It's uh, Amber Southers, and Amber is from Northeast Tennessee, and she is um, one of the employees of Sigourdsville Pharmacy. Her actual title is she's a pharmacy technician. She does have her master's degree in allied health, and her um, uh, evolving title, I think, is what she said as far as a newer title for her. She's also the clinical services manager um, for their pharmacy. Now, I visited their pharmacy. They were very progressive, and what was nice about Northeast Tennessee is that they had an ACO that uh, was very interested in working with 15 of the practices and having them uh, take care of their level three patients, which are their more high-risk patients, and provide uh, pharmacy services to them, enhanced services to optimize their medications. And Sigourneville Pharmacy, of which Amber is a part of, was one of the lead pharmacies that really took the initiative and 
they really have engaged and, and they've been doing this um, for a long time. And so I just appreciate both Amber and also Beth, um, who's the uh, pharmacist owner over there as well, too. So Amber, uh, welcome today. We appreciate you coming here. Hey, I'm excited to be on. It's just something new, but uh, I'm excited to dive in and just uh, familiarize myself with the community. All right. So. Thanks, Amber. Hey, Amber, my first question for you is, obviously, you guys are very progressive, So, and, and you also are very progressive in the sense of how to utilize all of your staff. So can you uh, describe what your role is at the pharmacy right now? So right now, I'm trying to help Beth, um, the pharmacist and owner, I'm trying to help her promote some clinical services. We are the only health care in our town. There's no doctor here. Everybody's at least 20 minutes away. So we recognize needs for our patients, especially the older population. So um, she hired me on to try to help with those things, just um, like diabetic education. That's very lacking in our, our area. The doctors don't really have anywhere to refer these patients. So we're doing that. We are trying to help our uh, patients get into a routine of, you know, monitoring their chronic diseases, um, just checking their glucose levels, their high blood pressure, you know, just try to get them in a habit of knowing what the normal ranges are. So she had hired me to, to try to get those things off the ground and to also help her with the adherence problems that we were having and our get our sync program off the ground. Uh, I have worked in a doctor's office before, so I'm used to monitoring those things and I did the meaningful use reports is what it was called back then um, for three different offices. So I was familiar with all those things as it was newly moving into pharmacy. So um, I'm doing those things and also working on insurance credentialing and billing and you know all the stuff that comes along with that. So you're you're wearing many hats at that pharmacy, it sounds like, Amber, which is true. Yeah, we're trying to get it smoothed out a little bit so we can be more focused on things because it seems like, you know, one thing gets off your plate and you get four more. So we're trying to, you know, divide things up and come up with a training program for our staff and onboarding new staff and trying to distribute those responsibilities a little so we can really focus on pushing out the big things now. Can I ask some questions about the pharmacy? So can you tell me um, about how big is the community? How many people do you serve? Um, you know, you talked about diabetes education. Um, you know, how close are the physicians to your practice? Because you said you are the really the only health professional in town. So obviously there must be surrounding towns with a physician. So give me a, give me a description of Sigourneville Pharmacy and the number of staff and, and your patient population and, and your relationship with other providers. So if you look at Sigourneville's zip code, it doesn't show that there's but maybe about 7,000 people here, but um, that zip code does not cover all the outlying country areas that are around here. And if you expand that, it at least doubles. So those people who live across the river, as we say, it takes them at least... 15 to 20 minutes to get to us, and it would take even longer to get to the surrounding towns because Rogersville is about, you know, at least almost 20 minutes from us, and we're in the middle. You know, we're in the city limits here. And then Church Hill is the next closest town that would have 
doctors, and they're about the same amount of time away. So those people who are having to drive from out in the country, you know, if they have to drive to here and then drive somewhere else to the doctor, that's a long day because that's at least 35 or 40-minute drive time. So um, those doctors, that's the closest ones that are near us. And if they need to send someone for something like diabetes education, they have to send them on to Kingsport, which, you know, that could be over an hour drive for some patients. So a lot of them are not going to make that travel time. And a lot of them aren't able to. So how big, do you know about how many uh, patients you serve in your pharmacy or do you know that number? Um, I'm not sure of the number. I know prescription-wise, I think we're at about 2,500 to 3,000 a month, I guess. Okay. Okay. No, I appreciate that. So it gives, it gives an idea about your business. Now, um, I have visited your pharmacy, and I can tell you it is out there <laughs> in the country. Yeah. We were my final stop before I get to the to my flight, and I'm like, I wonder if I'm going to make it. But uh, yeah. yeah, you're absolutely right. There's not an easy way to get there. Um, and I've been to Church Hill, and obviously I've been to Kingsport, and that is a distance. And so it's, it's good to know that, you know, a community – um, and that there's a pharmacy within that community that can serve, you know, for the, the health care of that uh, group of people. So, you know, I am very impressed. And you guys were very busy when I was there. And I'm sure you're busy all the time. So you guys have a very robust pharmacy. You know, one of the things we're trying to do, Amber, as you know, and part of the project we did in Northeast Tennessee was really transform, you know, community pharmacy practice. And we I really have always believed um, the important role that technicians play in this and and I we need to optimize the technicians as much as possible and and really maximize you know their education and training so that we can free up the pharmacist to be able to optimize their uh, education and training as well too and really you know optimize help patients optimize their medications. Can you tell me what roles you see technicians performing with community-based pharmacies to free up the pharmacist to provide these clinical services to patients? Um, For us, like in our specific situation, just getting all the preliminary work done, like recognizing that someone may have a blood pressure problem. So we need to really, you know, investigate their drug profile, not just look at it and, you know, say we need to fill these things because they're adherence medicines, but recognize that lisinopril is a high blood pressure medicine and that should trigger our new train of thought to ask the patient, you know, how they're doing with their blood pressure. Do they ever monitor it? You know, so we need to do the filter work, as I like to think about it, for the pharmacist and then know when we need to get them involved. So there needs to be triggers at every at every stop. So we need to recognize when we need to ask questions. And then if, you know, there's a, a trigger that lets us know that the pharmacist really needs to intervene and talk to them, then we can get all those things done and even start the the e-care plan, as we call it, for the pharmacist. So then all that they need to do is discuss those things with the patient and come up with a plan and finish out, you know, the documentation piece. So I really think just having triggers at each at each level and what we need to do to take care of those is how we're going to free up the pharmacist's time. Because if they're having to ask all the questions and they're having to look at every profile and set up all that, then that's not really utilizing their time wisely. 
Right. I appreciate that. And you brought up a couple of things that I want to uh, ask you questions about. The first one is about the triaging, because I feel like you've taken your pharmacy has taken it a step further because you're not just, you know, filling the, the prescriptions and running the dispensing department, but you're also taking another role as far as looking at the drug therapy that patients are taking, knowing the kind of classes or therapeutic classes those medications are in and be able to triage the patient as much as possible so you can pass that on to the pharmacist um, and so they can assess the patient appropriately. That Tell me, I mean, was that something that was a uh, something new you guys developed? Because not a lot of pharmacists are doing that. And did you have to have any special training or did you guys do anything that prepared the technicians to do this? Well, we're, we've been looking into technician training initiatives. I've been in contact with uh, Tennessee Pharmacists Association, their pharmacy technician leader there. They are developing um, some medication safety programs is what they're calling it. They received a grant from uh, the PTCB for technicians. Um, so we have looked into those things, but... We've kind of simplified, you know, the standards for high blood pressure, the standards for asthma, the standards for cholesterol. We've just kind of simplified those to be able to work them into the workflow in a way that the technicians can understand. I'm more familiar with those things because I was on the clinical side for a while, so it wasn't very new to me, but I know new technicians coming in, we're going to have to develop some type of training program to get them up on the standards and just explain to them what's going on and why, things like that. Because, you know, we're moving from a more technical role, just performing a task, to being more involved with the entire patient care. So we're just working within our store to try to develop those standards and a workflow, you know, so everyone can understand and be involved. I appreciate that. So it sounds like um, what you guys did was saying we're going to have some kind of a process in place, but then make sure that the staff are adequately trained to understand, you know, once we have these processes in place, here's what the information you need to be gathering to help the pharmacist do an assessment of the patient. Is that, is that correct? Yes, and that's what we're working on. I'm mostly doing mainly that right now as we're starting to implement these things. We're training our other technician who takes the leadership role here as well and we're trying to both work together because she's more heavily involved with intake right now than what I am so we're trying to develop a process between her and I that will you know uh, help train our tr uh, technicians as we onboard them when we hire them so we also found a need you know that we weren't staffed adequately to start doing these things so we did hire a part-time tech, and that came from the Northeast Tennessee pilot that we were involved in um, when we did our site assessments and self-assessments. So we recognized that, you know, to do all these things and to do them efficiently, that we were going to have to add a little more staff, even though we, we weren't seeing the return yet. But um, it's worked out well, and I think as we keep moving forward that um, we're going to be able to come up with a good training program for everyone. Well, I sure appreciate that information. You know, what's interesting in, in helping um, with the transformation process within Northeast Tennessee, um, you know, you, you I have a philosophy, as you know, and with my assessments that I had the sites fill out and that I came in to help fill out with, along with Jessica Robinson, who was one of the coaches, um, 
I really do believe there's something called slack resources that are needed. If we're really going to be a kind of a pharmacy that's going to provide these kind of services, we got to have people freed up to be able to do that. And sometimes that makes an investment in, in your personnel. So it sounds like you guys took that seriously. So can I ask you, um, currently, um, with the you told us the volume of your pharmacy. Um, how big is your staff? Like how many technicians, how many pharmacists? Um, so there's always just one pharmacist here right now um, throughout the day. So it is important that we utilize every way that we can to free up that pharmacist to provide the services needed. Um, we usually have, there's two full-time techs, which are Erica and I, and then we have our part-time tech that helps out a couple days a week. But she also switches off with um, one of our college kids, as we like to call him. Um, he is a cashier, but we have him licensed as a technician because he, you know, he really understands everything. So um, I guess you will have two part-time techs and two full-time techs. And there's only one day a week that we're all here. So um, Erica does our bubble packs for our packaging, uh, adherence packaging. So the day that everyone's here, she and I stay in the back. And we're trying to let those two, you know, understand our workflow and train them on that without us being up there. So um, it's it's working out. But, you know, we're finding all the roadblocks that you hit. <laughs> When you're right. training new people, and and so we're trying to um, get together an agenda for them and just kind of get them on the right track going. So there's always one pharmacist here and no more than uh, two technicians up front. But but you said there's only one there at, at a time, but there's more than just Beth that's a pharmacist there. Is that correct? Yeah, once a week, and then, you know, of course, during flu clinics and things like that, once a week we have a regular fill-in um, that works for Beth. So we are training her to do the e-care plans, and, you know, she's involved in those things. She is the one that um, does all of our MTM tips and things like that. So she's familiar with those things, and she's willing to um, move forward with us. So she's a good help. So what you're also saying is important that even your part-time staff are up and, and prepared and, and uh, knowledgeable about the programs that you're doing because they're going to be asked to be doing it too because obviously Beth doing all these other things needs to have really everybody on board to be able to be successful with this, correct? Exactly, because, I mean, just for example, right now, we're going to be out on flu clinics at least for the next couple of weeks. So... We're not going to be in store, and if those things aren't passed off to someone else who understands it and has their own way of monitoring it, then we fall behind, and, you know, our equip scores go down, our adherence goes down. So, you know, we have to have involved part-time staff to be successful as well. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. You know, you brought up a, a term a couple of times, e-care plan, and and just for the people who are listening, you know, we when I think about e-care plan, I think, you know, of a platform or a vendor that's providing you with the, um, the platform to actually put some of your patient documentation into it. So it's in a standard format that can be shared with other organizations, other um, practitioners, offices. Um, but there's also the care planning process. So really the pharmacist identifying, resolving medication-related problems, but really taking a proactive role to look the, you know, look at the patient's medications and stuff. So 
when when we talk about the e-care plan, um, Amber, are you doing the as far as the documentation? Are you documenting every intervention within that e-care plan platform that you have? Uh, yes, as, as we recognize and pick up on those, we we document, you know, what was done, what we talked about with the patient, you know, what their goals are. So, you know, I kind of like to think about it as the patient's electronical medical record that we have at the pharmacy because that's something that we've always been missing from pharmacy, I feel like, you know, um, to really know what the patient's going through and what the doctor is recommending, you know, we've always missed that piece, their electronic medical record. So um, I'm really excited to see how all these platforms may integrate together with the doctor's offices um, so they can also see our part and we can see their part. We've never had that two-way communication, which is something that we're going to be testing out here in Northeast Tennessee in a few weeks um, with the ACO. So, um I'm excited about that because I really feel like that's something that pharmacy has always been missing are the patient's physician notes. There's never been that, you know, view of what they go through at the physician's office. So um, I'm excited about that, and I just really like to think about it as the patient's medical record because that's just more information that you're putting into their record that everyone should be able to see and access. So I'm excited about that part and to see how it goes. Well, you also brought up something else that's interesting about how the technicians are putting information within the e-care plan, and and I think that's a that's a great resource because you know they can provide some of that triage information to the pharmacist who can make the final assessment and be able to sign off on that e-care plan. I mean, it's not much different than when I go into a physician's office; they bring me up, you know, when they're getting ready to do a physical on me or whatever the intervention might be. They're bringing up my electronic record and they're putting information within that record. And then the physician comes in, does the assessment and, um, you know, makes their intervention that they have to make. And so it just completes the record. So uh, it's interesting because I don't think all pharmacies are doing that, um, Amber, where the, the um, technicians are actually putting information into the record. So is that is that a pretty seamless process? Yeah, it, it really seems to work well for us right now. And I think... When you're short on staff, you come up with ways, you know, to utilize everyone to the top of their abilities. So I think, you know, being challenged like that is a good idea. It gives everyone uh, a new sense of responsibility, the things that they're supposed to keep up with and things that they're supposed to do. So if any pharmacies are confused about what they're supposed to do, I would like to, you know, push that example of the doctor's office. I mean, we just need to act like the triage nurse or the medical assistant, you know. So, I mean, that's kind of where all this is moving. Um, the pharmacist is going to sign off on it just like they do in a doctor's office. So, you know, if we can think about it in those terms, I think it would be easier for people to grasp because that's something that everyone has experienced. So, How many e-care plans do you think your practice submits weekly? I'm really not sure about that, but... I know there's a couple days a week that I input at least, you know, 10 a day. So, but that's, you know, when I'm back here. So, um, I would, I would guess about 20 to 30 a week. I'm not really sure about that, but, um, that could be a little much, but, 
you know, we could go with an average of 15 a week maybe. Okay. I'm not really sure about that part. Yeah. But at some point, as you mentioned, this being the electronic medical record within the pharmacy, this really becomes a very active record of the patient. And so instead of having a hard copy record or even just looking at your pharmacy management system, which has minimal ways of you documenting, or even the old-fashioned way of documenting on the back of a prescription for something that really related more to the prescription. But when we talk about patient care, we're talking about longitudinal care of a patient for which we need to be able to go back and look at what interventions have we made, how is the patient doing, what notes did I make in the past. So it really becomes more of a robust record of this patient. So it sounds like you guys are, are getting there, but you, you're probably not quite there yet. Is, is that a uh, correct assessment? Yes, and that's only because we're trying to train everyone to do that um, cause, because right now it's just the things that I catch on MedSync calls or when I'm doing input up front. So as we train everybody, I don't see a reason why, you know, they, they couldn't be doing as many e-care plans a day per person. So as we get everybody in that train of thought, I know that will increase yeah, I can tell you from the experience that, that we have at Towncrest Pharmacy, and once I got people understanding the importance of the documentation and to use the platform that we have, you know, we were making collectively um, within the two pharmacies that I have um, two to 3,000 uh, clinical interventions monthly, collectively. So it just becomes a robust record of your, your work of, with the patient, and then you can utilize that data to talk to payers to talk to physicians' offices, to talk to ACOs, health systems, to demonstrate these are the things that we're doing. So that e-care plan does become a very important document to demonstrate what you're doing, but really the value to not only the patient, but to the healthcare system in general. Right. Another question that I have for you, Amber, is, you know, you've talked about the technician role within um, your practice and how it's evolved, but overall, you know, as, as pharmacy evolves into more of a patient-focused, patient-care um, profession. Tell me what recommendation you would make to your colleagues who are technicians to prepare them for success in this evolving new role. Well, first of all, I'd just like to tell everybody to be open to change. Um, if you're not ready to change, if you want it to be like it was 50 years ago, then you're not going to survive. We've seen that happen in the next town over. Two of the farm, independent pharmacies that had been there for, one had been there for 25 years, and the other one had been there for over 50 years. They both shut down within a month of one another. So you have to be open to change as the owner and the pharmacist, the technicians need to be open to change. So that needs to trickle down. Um, if the staff in charge is not open to change and have a negative out view, outlook of those things, then it's not going to work. So I'd just say be open to change. Um, look for any type of training that you think would be useful to the pharmacy. Uh, the pharmacists are usually very open to sending you to that training. They'll probably even like to go with you. So just be open to get as much training as you can. Um, you know, you, just, you need to be motivated and find something that self-motivates you. For me, it's been recognizing services that are needed for our patients. You know, think of it on a personal level. 
if that's your family member, if that is your grandpa you know, your grandparent that's needing services, just think about, you know, what they may need as they age or what you may need as you age and find resources to make that happen if it's gonna be a viable service for your pharmacy. Um the biggest thing for Beth and I was making contacts with people from across the country. Uh, you know, we're here in Sigourneville, we're pretty isolated. There's not a lot around us as far as that goes. But we started going to like the CPESN meetings and the TPA meetings. We went to the um, NCPA fly-in and met a lot of great pharmacists from across the country and across Tennessee. So as you start building those contacts, you find out that most people are in the same boat as you. They're wanting to do something different. Some of them have implemented things. And so, you know, you just need to form that community and talk with one another and don't be afraid to share what you're doing in your pharmacy because, you know, you don't own that. <laughs> Everybody's trying to promote a service. So don't be afraid to share what you're doing and, and really try to help one another. I really appreciate that. That's that's some good advice you have given. And I think what's interesting is you hit on two things. One is the closure of pharmacies, especially in some of the more um, rural areas uh, where they haven't evolved their practice. And, uh, you know, just being a dispensing pharmacy, you're probably not going to survive. And I would say you're not going to survive at all in the, in the long term. Um, you really need to start providing those services. But I think the other thing that you really hit upon, I think is important, is the networking and the importance, especially if you're isolated. We had a guest um, two weeks ago, Corey Garvin, um, from Muscatine and Wilton, Iowa, who expressed that whole thing. You know, he, you know, he said, you know, I kept my head down. I needed to do something for my, just keep my practice going and things like that, that I wasn't even realizing what was going on around me and that I'm missing out on opportunity. And by what you guys have done, I mean, that's how I met you both, Beth and, and Amber, is by meeting you at the CPSN USA annual meeting. Amber, you were, took an initiative to uh, call the Community Pharmacy Foundation to look for some grants uh, to help to evolve the practices within the Northeast Tennessee, which really stimulated how I even got involved with that. So you taking that lead really made a difference, you know, long term um, on how we got to now this big initiative, Flip the Pharmacy. So you should take a lot of pride with that. But that networking, I think, is absolutely essential. And I think that's a good point um, for us to really emphasize. Amber, do you have anything else you'd like to add? Um, I would just say to everyone to stay positive. I know how bad it looks. You know, I see the payments. I see the bank statements. You know, I see what's coming out, what they've held. Um, but just keep looking for innovative ways to make your pharmacy grow, to motivate your staff, and to try to stay positive and just keep reaching out to people. Um, that's how we've solved a lot of barriers that we've ran into uh, with people who have, you know, businesses that have wanted to help us, but, you know, we hit a barrier and they can't, they can't figure out what we need to do. You just reach out to that network and just see if anybody else has ran into that problem because most likely somebody else already has as well. Um, we've met some uh, very helpful people on the Facebook networks that they have for independent pharmacy, and they're just willing 
they're just willing to give their time to help you and to guide you because they want to see independent pharmacy thrive as much as you want to see your business thrive. So I would just say just keep reaching out and just keep trying to come up with ideas. I appreciate that, and I think a good way to end this is with my uh, statement that I always make is that we're no longer just in an evolutionary phase of, of community pharmacy. We're really in a revolutionary phase, and and your practice is really demonstrating that leadership within this revolution. So, Amber, I appreciate um, your uh, discussion today. I appreciate you taking the time this morning to be with us, and I just want to thank everybody for uh, tuning in, and, and we look forward to talking to you next week. So, Amber, thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Have a great day. All right. Bye-bye. The Thrive Subscribe podcast is brought to you by Thrive Pharmacy Transformations. Visit us online at tptransformations.com, where you can join our free community to inspire you, challenge you, and transform your pharmacy practice.